Whether you're a pistachio purist who loves the experience of cracking them open, or you just love the convenience of no-shells pistachios, wonderful pistachios is the perfect healthy snack when hunger strikes. I happen to love me my pistachios. Uh, I don't want to screw around with the nuts, so I love the no-shells pistachios. Anyway, there are a bunch of flavors to choose from, like honey roasted, smoky barbecue, jalapeno, lime, and more. Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts, and each ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. The best part of spring cleaning is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless, and then Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data, unlimited talk and text, delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone and any Mint Mobile plan and bring your own phone number. Along with your existing contacts, ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited-time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. My team here, they're on Mint Mobile, and they like it. For a fraction of the cost, Mint Mobile proved to have excellent coverage with no drop calls or unsent texts. Plus, they make it super easy for me to activate my device just by following a few simple steps online. And bam, done. To get this new customer offer and the new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash literally. That's mintmobile.com slash literally. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash Literally, $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speeds slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Hey, John, man, what's up? Thanks for coming on. Hey, man, I really appreciate you having me. I'm a huge fan, bro. Oh, well, right back at you. Hey, everybody. It's literally with me, Rob Lowe. John Bernthal is with us. Great actor. Has been in so much. Well, you'll, you'll, you'll hear. I'm a huge fan, not only of him, but like the type of stuff that he does is, is super interesting and some of my favorite stuff. Um, he's currently on HBO's We Own This City, which is this sort of companion piece to the iconic The Wire. I'm assuming you've all seen The Wire because might be the greatest show ever made. Um, but he's got a lot of great stuff, so I'm going to get right into it because it's a long conversation, and it's, it's, it's... I feel like I say this all the time. It's one of my favorite conversations. But what am I going to say? It's one of my favorite conversations. Here we go. Thanks for coming in. How are you liking doing your podcast, by the way? Um, You, you know, I'm, I, I, I am liking it. I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful for the folks that, 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 that come on. Um, you know, look, I, it, it's, it's a big ask. I feel like a lot of the times, you know, the, 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 the people that I have on, you know, are special forces soldiers and, 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 and police officers and surgeons and coaches. They're, they're, they're folks that really aren't used to being on camera, right? you know, sort of in front of the mic. And, and, and so I know it's sort of a big ask, but they're, uh, to a person, you know, people that have had huge, huge impacts on me and that I've learned so much from 
And, you know, as, as sort of the state of discourse in this country, you know, bringing in people who really walk the walk rather than just talk about it. It's a huge, I, I'm just, I'm just enormously grateful. I've learned so much yeah. from them and I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity of getting their voices out there. Yeah. It's a good group that you have on. And I, I agree with you 100%. It's like, you know, I think we all agree so much more about anything than we disagree just as, as a collective, whether it's the country or the world or city or state or whatever. And, you know, everybody clickbait and uh, headlines, gen- you know, that's generated. It's like story, story. You have to have conflict for story. That's right. But like, like, just like what you said, I mean, I, I, I think we all want everything in the world for our kids. We, you know, we all, you, you know, love this country. We all uh, are, are, have had worries and concerns and, and, um, you know, for the most part, we love our neighbors, you know, but I, I just think about, you know, the last group of folks that we had on, you know, were um, a guy who, you know, had done 20 years in prison and, and, and he was, I had him on with the cop that kind of put him away. And they, they both were finishing each other's sentences and they had so much more in common than they did uh, wow. uh, uh, the opposite. And, and I think it's like if these two guys can kind of get along and find bridges and, and, and roots of commonality, we all can. I just think, again, so much of the, discourse you know geared towards keeping folks apart and um i just it's it's that that drives me crazy yeah conflict sells yes sir conflict sells um so yeah so i really appreciate you having your podcast that's super cool um and so you must have tons of thoughts you grew up i mean you is it is it it's it's a fair categorization say you grew up in russia right you spent a lot of time there uh yeah i don't know that i I don't know that i grew up i mean i grew up in washington dc but you know when i i i when I decided that I wanted to act, you know, I, I went to school to play sports um, and I played, I played baseball in college. Um, I couldn't finish uh, college. I definitely uh, found myself in a good bit of trouble. Um, I, I met a, a wonderful woman who was sort of my first acting teacher. And I, I went to her and I, I really had no exposure to, you know, being an artist, being an actor. And um, I, I didn't really understand if it was any different than being a plumber or being a doctor, you know, what are the steps that I need to take? And, she told me, look, if you could audition for this theater school in Moscow, you know, for her, it was the sort of best path. And I think a, a big part of her strategy was to for me to get away from, you know, all my knucklehead friends back in. So wait a minute. She was like, you are such a troubled student that she was like, not only do we need to get you out of the school, <laughs> out of this neighborhood, out of this, maybe this city state. We need to get you out of the country. Yeah, we, she was like, she was like, possible, you know, no yeah, she was like, like, just get you. Know, I had no, like it was like, you know, when I went to Moscow, I was there for two years. I didn't have an internet account. You know, there's no cell phones. You know, I just, I literally just went. Um, and uh, wait, 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 wait. How? I mean, look, I, we obviously know Stanislavski is in all of the, the heritage of it, but how did, of all of the places she could have sent you, it was Moscow. Yeah, the Moscow Art Theater. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, she had this unbelievable love for Russian theater and yeah. uh, for Eastern European theater. And it was, it was the Moscow Art Theater, Stanislavski's theater. Michael Chekhov's theater, Anton Chekhov's theater. Um, it's got a great theater school. It's, it's, uh, enormously disciplined. Um, and I think as a young guy, you know, an athlete, a boxer, I think she knew I would really, really respond to the discipline of it. Um, it's mm-hmm. enormously brutal, uh, enormously beautiful, but brutal at the same time. And I think Russia in general, you know, at, at that point in the late nineties and early two thousands, it was a wild place, but it was for a guy who sort of thought he was street smart and thought he was a little bit tough. You know, going to Moscow was completely eye-opening, and I think it was, you know, deeply, deeply formative for me in, in, in becoming a man and becoming an artist. It's a, it's a place where you know art is really revered. You know, there's a, there's a statue on, on, on nearly every 
corner of Moscow of a, of a playwright or an actor or a painter. And it's a, it's a very masculine profession. I think as a young man, it's something I just responded to deeply, you know, learning how to do acrobatics, learning how to do ballet, learning um, how to be in a situation where you really could fail, where a lot of, I think, American theater training was a very coddling place. It was very sort of like if you, you know, if you can't really play sports and you can't really do this, you can always go to the theater where you can sort of be a tree and, 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 and do no wrong. You know, Russia was very different. It was a school that you had to get in. They were constantly cutting people out. Um, but if you made it through that school, you sort of, you, you had a career. You know, you, you were funneled into the Russian theater system. And that was a really big deal. And um, I'm... I'm just eternally grateful to, to, to her and I'm eternally grateful to the, the, the people of Russia and the, the, the folks that I got to learn with and learn from. What, um, walk me through like a day of the school that I, you would think I'm, I would be like, what you, you studied that or you had to do this. I mean, it must've been, I mean, like you say, the difference between, you know, the frozen yogurt acting school of West Hollywood and and there must have been insane. Give me give me some contrast. Yeah, I mean, look, I I, I think um, I mean, there's so much different. I mean, I, I I think number one, it's not to disparage anybody who's in you know theater education in this country, but you know, in Russia, the highest honor you can get is to be a teacher. So my teachers in Moscow were you know not just the most famous actors, but the most respected. It, it, you know, the, the the top of the top, Oleg Tabakov was my teacher. He would be sort of like the Robert De Niro of, of, of Russia, you know, a household name. Wow. Um, you know, and, 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 and you learn all kinds of things, training your attention, training your, uh, tra- training your focus. Uh, you know, one of the first things you do is you get um, a, a newspaper clipping and you read it. You have to read a paragraph. And while you're reading the paragraph, everyone in the class is asking you questions. What color are your socks? Uh, what did you eat for breakfast? And you have to answer while you're reading. Meanwhile, the teacher will sit there and clap and snap and cough. And when it's over, you've got to say, you've got to answer what everybody's questions were and what the answers were, how many snaps there were, how many coughs there were, and how many claps there were. And then you have to recite the monologue. And you can't get on to the next part of the curriculum until you can get through that. And that's just like the baseline. That's just like very, very beginning. That's so counterintuitive because you would think that's designed to take you out of the moment when everybody in, in acting would tell you to be in the moment. I think that's it's, right. It's, I, 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 and I think, you know, what they would say to that is that you have to be on stage. You need to know your choreography. You need to know the perimeters of the stage. You need to be listening to your cues. You need to be, your heart needs to be open. But these are sort of the formative first things that you need to do, you know, before you get into, you know, opening up your heart, opening up your memory, digging into feelings from your past. And again, it was, it was very athletic. The training there was very, very athletic. You know, again, acrobatics and ballet and stage combat and learning rhythm. And uh, I'm, I'm just grateful for it. And I think also just sort of doing it within the setting of, of Russia. And I think it's really apropos for what's going on now. You know, yeah. everybody that I came up with in Moscow had come up during communist times. And, you know, during communist times, there were absolutely, you know, public gatherings were outlawed. You know, you couldn't get a group of people together. So there was state-sponsored theater, but in state-sponsored theater, it had to be pro-state productions. And once the state would sort of get wind or decide that your piece was not pro-state, actors were executed. I mean, Meyerhold was one of the most famous directors in, in Moscow, got assassinated right in his apartment. Actors were jailed. You know, my teachers, they put on a play in hiding. They did it in, in subway tunnels and in abandoned buildings. And, you know, had they been caught, 
they would have all been in jail. Anybody who came to see that play would have been put in jail. So for them, it was enormously vital. It was life or death. And again, I'm just so grateful that that's who I got to learn from. And I think when I look at it now, you know, so many of the people that I studied with, so many of the artists that I know, they've been jailed. You know, they've been jailed for speaking against this war, for speaking against the state. And um, just like when I got back from Moscow, you know, 20 years ago, I just had this deep, deep love and reverence for the place, for the soul of the place, for the artistic sort of community and strength of the place. But I also just so appreciated being an American and being, you know, and, and having what so many of us sort of take for granted. And we've got to protect these things, free speech and speaking our mind and freedom of art. It's so unbelievably important and vital and crucial and they don't have it there and um you know i i I think that's hugely 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 important and 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 a huge factor in why what's going down in ukraine is actually going down yeah it's i always feel like if we as a as a country and it's hard it takes money and time and people work and you know not everybody has the the ability to do it but if we could travel more and it, we, I think a lot of our problems would go away because we would see how the other half lives as opposed to how we think the other half lives or, or, or whatever. And you, you were there. I mean, you got to go there. Yeah, couldn't agree with you more. So then you come back. <laughs> I just love the notion of you, my imagination of you going through that, learning that in Russia in that time, and then like showing up for pilot season <laughs> just makes me laugh. It's like, so tell me a little bit about yourself. Like, where did you study? <laughs> You yeah, know, like I mean, you hit him with that. <laughs> you know, for me, man, with my big ears and my giant nose, it didn't get that far <laughs> for so long, man. I mean, I, I feel like for so many years, I, I just, you know, you hear about being an actor and, and, and doors being slammed in your face, but just sort of the the, the, the palpable horror of, of, of casting directors when I would walk into rooms, you know, just with this face, you know, I just like, you know, because it was all... You know, CW shows and, and soap operas, you know, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. just trying to get out of my car, you know, like I, I needed a place to live. And, and uh, you know, man, it was uh, it was not looking good for, for a long time. <laughs> I mean, it's funny because when I look at you and look at your work and look at like your whole presentation, I'm like, oh, this guy was fucking designed in an, in a lab to, to, to do the stuff you do. I mean, t- to me, it's, it's always different the way it feels to. You know, it's like that old thing of never compare your insides to someone else's outsides, mm-hmm. right? You know, like I'm like, yeah, the Punisher. Fuck yeah, they fucking designed him to be the Punisher. <laughs> for me, it's why I was, uh, you know, sort of just always so deeply grateful for for, for Walking Dead. I, I just felt like, you know, when that when that show came around, you, you know, I, I finally felt like I got to sink my teeth into something, you know, which. Which you know, man. I, I, you know, as an actor, to have something with a real beginning, middle, and end, and, and a oh, character yeah. that's that's nuanced and layered, and and I, I just really felt from the beginning that this was something that you know I could I I, I, I could really dig into, and you know, Frank Darabont, and then meeting the people you know involved with it, and then going down to Georgia and shooting it the way that we did. Um, I'm just so I'm so grateful to to, to that show and be, being a part of it because it really did. You know, I mean, I, I think in this in this business, you know, there's people that make the mistake of thinking that something's going to change their life. And, and I, I don't think that it normally does. So much of this you can't control. That's the greatest part about this business. It's also the hardest part of this business. That's what really changed my life. And, and it was, um, you know, right before I got married, right before I had my first uh, kid. And um, just I, I got to know 
these, you know, people like Andy Lincoln and Sarah Wayne Callies, who were these young artists with families that were super committed to their husbands and wives and to their children. And it's all I was ever looking for, man. And, 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 and for me, you know, really trimming off all the fat in my life and, and just living kind of for my art and for my family, it's made me, um, it's made me enormously happy. And, and I do, I'm just, I'm, I'm super, super grateful for it. Well, it's, it, and it's funny because I remember when The Walking Dead first came out, uh, Frank, uh, and I, I'd, I've spent some time with him. And when I was on the West Wing, he would show up every once in a while. I, he must have been friends with Sorkin, sure. I think. And, and so I remember meeting him and I was always a fan, you know, it, it, but it was before he did uh, Walking Dead. And then I will tell you that and, and I believe that first season of Walking Dead, and look, it, it's one of the most successful shows of all time stipulated and and it actually grew and grew and exploded but for me that first season and second season were the shit yeah thanks i mean look i i think that um the thing about it it had such unbelievably humble beginnings i mean at that point amc was the network of Mad Men and breaking bad and it was such sort of just prestige television show and we were we were the bastard stepchild we're like a zombie show and yeah. <laughs> I mean, I remember going to, you know, like the Golden Globes and, and having, you know, those other shows sort of look at us and but like, really, a zombie show? And, you know, we got yeah. a six-episode pickup. I mean, you know, man, that is not yeah. a huge, you know. Not a vote of confidence. No, no sir, man. No, sir. And, um, but, you know, we went there and it was like, it was like a student film. We were, we were, we were in Georgia. You know, there are no trailers. There's no craft service. We ate lunch in the woods. But we were all so unbelievably connected to each other and, and i think that when you take a group of people uh and 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 you take uh you know an ensemble of, of of actors and you put them in the woods and you say okay look there's zombies out there if one person isn't fully freaking committed to the fact that like any noise will attract zombies it just brings the whole shit down and i just think we were so blessed and and, and frank was so good at sort of choosing who he chose uh that you know, it, it was people who just really were willing to throw everything in, into that. And, 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 and I think, I don't know if you've had this experience, but, you know, for me, those experiences that have been enormously righteous and when things have really worked out, it's also the group of people that I've become closest with. And I don't know yeah. if you found that too, but the people in The Walking Dead are some of my closest friends in the world. Well, th that kind of leads me to my next question is how, how did you navigate when Frank was no longer with the show? Was that a big deal? It, it, I would think it would have had to have been, right? It killed me, man. It, it, it did. And it was, uh, it, it, it was, uh, you, you know, an enormous lesson, an enormous lesson sort of in Hollywood to somebody who just, you know, look, I, I think there's so many lessons on that show. You know, I was finally sort of on the, I had this great character on this hit show that people were actually watching and then they killed me, you know, like, and I knew I was going quick. Um, so that was a big lesson. But I think the thing with Frank, um, I, I just, you know, for me, I just utterly couldn't comprehend it. And, you know, he was, he, he was so good. His scripts were so good. And, and so good. So good. And, and, you know, he's really a national treasure of yep. an artist. And, and, yep. and, and I think, you know, we would get these scripts and we would know, don't even read them until they say revised by Frank Darabont because every word would change. And then they would literally just like, shoot off the screen and 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 you know when it happened it was really sort of like a sinister event you know we were we were in georgia and we all at lunch had to get in this group of vans we got taken into this airplane hangar where there was no cell phone reception and they told us frank was on his way to a meeting where he was going to get fired 
And I remember people were trying to like call him and warn him. And, and it was funny because we sort of divided in two camps. You know, everybody was so loyal to Frank. But, you know, for me, I, you know, look, a year earlier, you know, I was, I was like facing jail time. I was a complete mess. I still hadn't gotten sober. I wasn't engaged to my wife. I, like, I, I felt that sort of that period of my life and that show really saved my life. And I owed it all to this man. And I was like, look, we, if, if he's not here, we can't go on. And I think there was one faction of the group that said, look, we got to walk out. Like if, 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 if they're going to fire Frank, we got to walk out. And then there's this other faction of the show uh, that was sort of like, look, if we leave, the crew doesn't have jobs. And there wasn't that much work in Georgia at that time. And we, the show sort of needs to go on. And it was getting to be pretty contentious among this group of people that absolutely loved each other. And love was still there. But it was right at the time where there's also sort of this contentious feeling in the story of the show, where there was sort of the Shane camp and the Rick camp. And strangely, it all kind of like played into all that. Um, but, you know, as, as that sort of developed and went on, it was a huge lesson for me. It, it, it made me... Um, see that these things are often so much more complicated than we ever know. And these decisions all happen in, you know, air conditioned rooms that, you know, actors aren't invited into most of the time. But, you know, I, I, I think it's important to, to, to stand up for what you think is right in this business. I think it's important to, um, I, I, I think sadly, um, the, the spaces and the projects where, you know, the sort of the hierarchy of who has a voice and who doesn't have a voice between crew and cast member and directors and showrunners. I think those projects are often, um, don't come off as good, uh, as yeah. projects where everyone has a voice and everyone is sort of there together. I think it's the most beautiful thing about what we do is that, you, you know, we all get together, people from all walks of life, all races, all religions, all sexual orientations, all political persuasions. You got teamsters, you got grips, you got actors, you got uh, hair and makeup folks, and you all come together on this creative endeavor. And it's one of the most beautiful things to be a part of when you're all there for each other and a part of a team listening to each other. And there is no hierarchy. You just get, you know, the best directors, the best filmmakers in my mind that I've gotten to work with, all just pulverize all that bullshit and realize how toxic it is. But it's um, look, I, I, I think everybody deals with it in every business, and yeah. um, it's 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 tough, and it was a, it was a big lesson for me. Well, you know, I and it's funny because the, the did you feel well? They killed you, so you, you were kind of not really around to 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 be in the what the show morphed into. For me, it was a different. It was really a different show. I, I felt like if you like you watch years one and two, and then say watch four and five. For me, it's it's a really same people. But it's it's definitely different. It's a little bit like West Wing after Aaron Sorkin left. Mm. It's like I can only imagine Aaron, Aaron Sorkin's gone. I, I'm gone, so I don't have to. Re I don't really. I didn't pay much attention to the John Wells version of the West Wing. But it's same people. But it's a different show. And when you have a iconic voice like a Darabont yep. or a Sorkin, and and now no matter who comes in after that, it's gonna be a, a different show. Where else can you go surfing and skiing in the same day or check out a world-class art museum and camp out under a brilliant night sky same day or hike through the redwoods and get a luxury spa treatment? There's only one answer, California. No matter where you go across this state, you will find a way to play. 
I look, I love California. Um, and I have not yet surfed and skied in the same day, although I do do both. So that is on my bucket list. It's the most beautiful place in the world. Discover why California is the ultimate playground. Head to visitcalifornia.com to start planning your trip today. Looking for a sparkling clean bathroom without so much hassle? Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner is here to revolutionize your cleaning future. Just spray today, rinse tomorrow, and voila! Enjoy a sparkling clean shower and tub without any scrubbing. It's the secret to a hassle-free, clean bathroom that many are discovering. With over 33,000 five-star reviews, Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner has proven its effectiveness on shower glass, fixtures, tiles, and more, ensuring everything shines with minimal effort. This product has gained a loyal following thanks to its once-a-week application that makes it a standout in the cleaning aisle. Join the ranks of satisfied users who enjoy more me time and less clean time with Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner, available at Amazon, Lowe's, Menards, Home Depot, and Ace Hardware. It's the perfect choice for anyone wanting to simplify their cleaning routine. Don't miss out on a chance to transform your bathroom cleaning with just one application a week. Pick up a bottle of Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner today and join the thousands who've already made the switch to Effortless Clean. Hey, listeners. Ever have trouble getting someone on the phone when you have a question about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person any time, day, or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. How did you feel about not being on Westwood? I mean, did you like, what, what was that? What, what was that feeling like for you? I mean, the relationships had all run their course, right? It was like, there was nothing really left to, to mine right. in terms of the, the, the relationships. And the, the show was going in a, in a, in a direction that I could see exactly where it was heading. And I, I'd done everything I could do. Uh, and, and I think Aaron obviously felt the same way because he, he left about, I don't know, it was like six weeks after I left, I think. So, you know, and you kind of go, you know, it's, it's, it's always better to leave on top, right? I'm sure what you had, you know, that, that I didn't have is just sort of like my first job. Like, I didn't know. I was like, oh, fuck. Okay, so this is it. Like, this is, this is sort of the career, you know, you, you know, and you're, you know, Rob Lowe. I, I, I just think that, you know, for me, it, 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 it's, I was so grateful and still am so grateful for being a part of that show and fostering the relationships and, and that, that, that I've had. But I'm also looking back so enormously grateful for leaving when I did and, and, and getting yeah. off that show and for the opportunities that I've had since then. And, 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 you know, you always say like, if you could wish and you could go back and sort of talk to that, you know, younger version. I mean, I was, I was so scared. I, I just was so like, of course, you know, of course you finally get on a hit show and then it all, but you know, that's, um, 
that's just like not the way that you should be looking at this ever, I think. No, you never know what's going to come. And, and by the way, then, so you, you, you're in one of my favorite movies that I um, always tell people, ask them if they've seen it. A lot of people saw it, but a lot of people didn't. And Wind River. Mm. Mm. Um, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. That movie, if you haven't seen Wind River, uh, it is absolutely fantastic. You're fantastic. Everything about it is, I mean, I could go on and on and on and on about it. And, you know, it's obviously Tyler Sheridan. Uh, and, you know, he's now gone on to, you know, Yellowstone and so many amazing things. But Jesus, that movie is fucking bad ass. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I love, I love Taylor. You know, I've, I've, I've gotten to work with him uh, three times, you know, for, first on Sicario and then, and then um, on those that wish me dead, but but you know, Wind River was the first one that that, that he directed, and you know he um, it, it was such a wonderful experience, and I don't know, I, it, it really fell into kind of exactly what I love to do more than anything totally. else as an actor. It was just like yes, you know, for me, man, that was one day of shooting, and it was literally like he called me up, he said, "Look, this is going to be an acting exercise." He was literally like from Russia. He said, "I want you to open a trailer door, and I want you to be." Everyone in the movie has to think you're the bad guy. And then I'm going to let you write a monologue where in the course of that monologue, you've got to convince everybody that you're the good guy. And then you need to have this terrible violent event take place, but you got to make it look like if anything different would have happened, that it wouldn't have happened. Like it can't be stressed or it can't be premeditated. It's got to exist in the moment. And we just sat there. It was a 22-hour day on set. It was their last day of shooting. We just shot the whole thing. And it was, you you know... the thing about Taylor, you know, he, he started out as an actor and then, you know, he, he, he wrote Sicario and he's just, he's just like a guy I would follow anywhere, you know, like yeah, 100%. I that guy anywhere. He's just like, you know, he gets it. He gets it from everybody's point of view. And, um, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's a brilliant guy. And, 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 um, I, I, I have so much respect for his work ethic and his ability to take risks. And, uh, yeah, I was really grateful to be a part of that. I mean, the performances in it, I mean, Rennert has never been better. That And everybody has their big speech, which I love. But Rennert's big speech is insane. Just insane. I, I, Elizabeth Olsen, totally, totally 100 billion trillion percent believe her yeah. as that FBI agent. And that's really hard to pull off. 100%. Yeah, they're, they're, I mean, everybody can pull off the movie FBI agent. Right. Like that's, e- but that's easy to do. And it's perfectly great. She's actually a real FBI agent. I agree. I agree. And the standoff shootout sequence, it, to me, I don't think there's ever been a better shootout sequence ever on film, ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, ever. It's, it's, a cool, it's a cool film, man. It's, it's, a, it's a really great film. And again, just, uh, it, it, you know, we know, to, to, to be sort of this actor on Sons of Anarchy that's kind of like frustrated telling other people's stories and then say, you know what, man, I'm just going to, Go take a shot. I'm gonna go write something, and then you write Sicario, and then you say, "Ah, you know what? I'm I'm, I'm gonna give it a whirl. I'm, I'm gonna try to direct something." And then you direct Wind River, and then it's, I'm gonna run a TV show, and then it's Yellowstone. I mean, that's that's Taylor Sheridan. You know, my son's a, an actor slash writer, and uh, and it's like being an actor today. If you have if you, if you can write, you should also be writing. And by the way, you you might not even know you can write until you start. That's right. And like, I just, again, I love, 
listen, I love the notion of my my boy Billy Bob Thornton sitting in some trailer and some shithole on location in Canada and some piece of crap that he he'll never even remember in his honey wagon and 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 making faces <laughs> in the mirror. And the next thing you know, he he writes Sling Blade. And wasn't that wasn't Sling Blade uh, a Larry Moss exercise? Oh, that's so interesting. I know the 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 story I know is that he he had that character, but it had come from him being bored and making literally making faces wow. in a honey wagon. Wow. wow. And and talking and then and then wrote um and then wrote a a a um short film and then the short film then went to awards and stuff and then he used the short film to make the mu- to drum up the money for the for the long film of sling blade so good. just watched it again the other night it's and and um oh my god uh everybody isn't john ritter is insane in it so good and um dwight yokum is un so good believable so and how about the the kit oh and but you know what it is though it's like you say it's the direction mm-hmm. the direct you know billy directed it taylor directed wind river because that shootout sequence directed by somebody else is just a shootout sequence yeah you know that that's your sequence directed by somebody else and by the way it would be probably be really good but it wouldn't be that no no way it's a crazy push and pull of having an idea trying to execute your idea and being being free enough in the moment to let people, you know, fly, let people explore. And I, I don't know if you've had the same experience, but for me, you know, the, the, the really, truly wonderful directors that I've worked with, they're all so different. They come at it so differently and they have such different temperaments. But the one thing that's absolutely uniform in all of them is they've done the work, they know the story, they know what they want, but they're so free. They so respect the moment. There's this absolute you know, just, 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 just feeling of electricity and that anything can happen on set on the day. And, and you just get, you know, that's, that's what we do it for. And, and they, they, they nurture that and, and they, you know, they cultivate that. And, and, uh, I, I really find it in all of them. Well, that brings me to Oliver Stone. Okay. Uh, <laughs> my Oliver moment is, uh, you, you were in, uh, the, the nine, what's the actual title of the nine? World Trade Center. World Trade Center. Um, Oliver. Uh, so, like when I was coming up, Oliver was making Platoon and all of those things. And like, you know, Charlie was like my baseball buddy, Sheen. And the next thing you know, he's like a big movie star. I'm like, wait, why didn't, did Oliver not have my phone number? I could have gone to the Philippines. Um, and I know Johnny Depp's in it. And all these guys are like bubbling up and now they're great. And so I finally get my moment to to work with Oliver. And it's, uh, it's going to be Al Pacino as Noriega. Mm. And me is Oliver North. And so we do this big table reading. We took a break halfway through. And I'm at the water fountain getting water. And Oliver comes over. And he looks at me. And just shakes his head. Like sort of like vaguely disgusted and disappointed. And I get like obviously super nervous. Like, whoa, 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 what's that? What's that? Hey, how, how do you think it's going? He goes, and he puts his hand on my shoulder and looks right in in my eyes and goes I just thought it would be bigger and I'm like okay so then I'm like that mother (laughs) and I'm like okay all right you want you want bigger you want bigger all right I'll give you bigger and so I I was seated next to him at the table read 
And and so we come back from the break, and I don't, whatever my first line was, I just give it. And I just see Oliver kind of laughing to himself and smiling. But like that was his version of, <laughs> of directing. The, the movie never got made because there was half of it was super cool and everything you thought you wanted. Right. You know what I mean? And then the other half was like a treatise on communism and Central America. And it was very clear when it got to that, whatever act that was, that no one was going to go see this movie. And I could just see Al Pacino's eyes rolling <laughs> up in his head and. And, and 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 nothing ever came from it. But that was my moment in the sun with Oliver Stone. Okay. But he's he his bedside manner is definitely very different than any other director, don't you think? No question. And and you know, for me, I had him. I had him so early. I mean, he he literally the he, uh, it was the first movie I ever did. And and oh, wow. um, you know, five years after nine eleven. So it's just like such a yeah yeah you, 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 you know sort of just heavy project. It it plays itself. You know what I mean? And, and <laughs> yeah, it does. But you know, I, I remember. Uh, I, I remember. You know, I, I I was doing the movie, and at the same time, I was doing this sort of crazy uh, comedy called Bar Stars about the club scene in the San Bernardino Valley. And I mean, like, literally, like couldn't be in a more different you know atmosphere. And uh, I remember I was flying back and forth uh, to New York to do the film, and and we were doing sort of like my biggest scene. Uh, in, 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 in the, in the film. And, you know, I was playing real guy, Chris Amoroso. And, and, you know, Oliver really, you know, to, to his credit, you know, really kind of shaped everything for me, at least as, as far as I research and, and, and jumping in, because, you know, we were playing bus terminal port authority cops and Oliver brought us out six weeks early. He brought us to the port authority and, you know, I, I he said, look, if you guys want to keep coming, you can come here every day. And I got to know. Uh, Officer Fairbanks and Sergeant Finney, guys who I'm still close with. I went out with them every single day to get to know, you know, Chris and 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 this character, Chris Amoroso. His and um, and I remember I all I wanted to do is sort of reach out to his um, widow, uh, uh, Jamie, and they, they they he had the youngest widow of all the first responders. And um, at the end of my time, sort of researching with these guys, they took me to to, to Jamie and introduced me and and. I was just so grateful for it. And I felt like so yeah. lived in, but I remember, you know, shooting this scene, um, Oliver, you know, d- we're shooting it all day long. And, and, and in the morning he just was like loving everything I was doing. And I felt on top of the world and then I got it. And then all of a sudden he just switched on me. Everything <laughs> I was doing was terrible. And after every scene, he would like walk down the entire, you know, pretend concourse of the world trade center, you know, with his big plotting walk. And you'd be like, it's terrible. It's too big. It's too much. We do. And then I, next time, I'd be like, are you not doing anything? It's too small. And I just, I couldn't fucking win. And then all of a sudden, amazing. it was amazing. And then he comes to me and he says, where's your jacket? I go, what do you mean? Where's my jacket? He goes, you mean you're in the, the World Trade Center on 9-11 and you're not wearing like a flak jacket? I said, look, Oliver, you don't choose what you wear. There's like a cod, like every fleck of dirt is chosen by somebody, you know, like, what are you yeah. talking about? He goes, ah, bullshit. You're just not wearing the jacket because you're too vain. He goes, that's a problem with all you young actors. And he said to Mike Pena, you're vain. He said to Armando, you're vain. But then to me, he's got these big, thick fingers. He put it like right in my face. He goes, you're the worst of all. He goes, you think you look good in that blue fucking suit? You're fucking vain. And honestly, Rob, like I didn't, I, I just lost it at that point. I figured I was getting fired anyways. I'm pouring sweat. I'm so nervous. It's my first job. So I just smacked his hand out of my face. I said, let me tell you something, man. You might be Oliver Stone, but I will beat your ass, man. I'm a lot of things in this world, but I'm not fucking vain. And he goes, and, and, and I said, I'll do your whole movie with a clown nose on my face. I'll do it with a bag over my head. I'm not vain. And Oliver turned around, 
and walked off the set. And like literally everything stopped. And Nicolas Cage turned to me. He's like, wow, man, the, the way you handled that. You like took <laughs> adversity and threw more adversity. I'm like, yo. And Mike Pena was like, look, John, like he just does that, dude. He just, he's just fucking with you. You can't like threaten his life. And, you know, he came back about 20 minutes later and we did the scene. And then he said, hey, man, I want you to meet me after work tonight. And he took me out to eat, man. And, and, and he said, he was like, you know, you're my favorite thing. You're a young actor with balls. And we became really, really close after that. And uh, I, I don't miss that. I don't. But, you know, man, I, I really did see that this like manipulation of atmosphere and to like get you fucked up and get you. You know, I'm sure I, I had my whole performance plan. I'm sure I was saying it the exact same way. And he wanted to he wanted to change it up. And, um, you know, ultimately, I was grateful for it. But, yeah, I thought that I thought that was it. man. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad to see that my experience isn't, isn't alone on that. Yeah. Um, I got to ask you about Fury because it's another movie I love. I work with Jim Parrick, who was in the movie as well. He's on the, my show, uh, Lone Star, Nine One One Lone Star. He he tells great stories about working with David Ayer. Ayer. Yeah, I mean, look that that movie. Uh, the process of that, I'm sure Parrick has told you. I mean, it was unlike, you know, especially for us, that that main kind of tent unit. You know, it was it was eight months. You know, it was um, you know you know there's no days off. Every exterior shot of the tank, we were really in that. We slept in the tank, we ate in this tank, we pissed in the tank, we shat in the tank. Uh, you know, it was um, it was an unbelievably sort of like all in psychologically, you know, look, you know, you, you do these sort of actor boot camps and, and, and you do these things where, you know, you're always operating under the umbrella of, of safety. But, you know, I think, you know, David himself is a combat vet. He, he really, really wanted to try to capture this feeling of, you know, riding through hell in a tin box and, um, you know, what he put us through, there was, um, you know, the, the, the first three months we were there, we would, um, we do martial arts in the morning and we'd all have to fight each other. He does that on all his movies and makes everybody fight. I would have to fight the karate teacher and the stunt guys. And we would do sort of like circle up and watch. And, you know, he, um, he had us do six hours of tank training every single day. Um, and, and then there was just like a lot of sort of emotional manipulation and really getting people to break down. And he had these Navy SEALs there that took us through this, you know, mini buds course. Uh, and, and, you know, Kevin Vance, the, the Navy SEAL who kind of was the military coordinator on that film, he's still one of my closest friends. Um, it is, they say there's nothing in the world closer than a tank unit because you're just, you're just in that space. You know each other so well, the way you smell, the way you, 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 you can finish everybody's sentences before, you know, they're through with them. Um, and that's really how I feel about the guys in that, in, in that tank, you know, Shia and Mike and, and Logan and Brad, uh, you know, we, um, it was really like this deranged, insane family. And, um, it's, I'm, I'm so grateful for that experience. You're, you're so brought in to get you so, you're so galvanized. You so believe in what you're doing. And then it's almost like, again, like air, he's a, He's a madman. I, I would work with Air anytime. I mean, like, I think any actor who has a chance to work with him should jump on it. You know, like the process that he puts out. I, you know, I was even I was talking to Will Smith when we did King Richard, you know, and he did Suicide Squad with him. You know, whatever happens with the film to work with Air, he will just, it's, it's, it's an absolute like sort of journey in, 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 in just being a psychopath. And I hear the stories I hear from Suicide Squad, because again, my friend Jim Perrick was, Jared Leto's henchman yep. in the movie. And again, like he's capable of cutting people out of it. He, that's the other thing. He's like, if it isn't work, you're gone. And like the Jared Leto got cut out of the movie. Yep. 
Yep. And there's no like, nothing is, he, he thrives on that. He thrives on this sort of madness. But I think the other thing that David does that I just loved was, you know, what he does is he puts the camera on you and then he sets everybody loose on you. So he spends all this time, you know, talking and, and everyone sort of divulging their own history and their own, the complications in their past, their family. And then he wants, he puts a camera on you and then you're supposed to attack that person. So, you know, shy, just going after Brad and close-ups and, you know, the, 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 the your hands start to shake, tears start to come out because we are literally ripping each other apart. And then afterwards you're like, shit, man, what did I, what did I just fucking do? What did I just say? But it is that. And, and like, by the way, man, you're making a movie about World War II. It's like, you should be doing that. I mean, it shouldn't be comfortable. It should be toxic. But that was, that was as crazy and insane and toxic an environment as I can imagine. But I, I, I wouldn't change it for the world. I, I love it. I love fast cars, but there aren't a ton of high performance TVs. They're certainly out here there. But when I when I get a chance to get behind the wheel of one, it's I love it. And I was blown away by the Kia EV6 GT. When you get behind the wheel of the Kia, it, it is literally like being in a state-of-the-art rocket ship, but also comfortable. The thing goes from zero to 60 in 3.4 seconds. It is the premium driving experience. And of course, it's an EV. So the climate thanks you. SiriusXM provides access to over 165 channels in the vehicle. Music, sports, news, comedy, yacht rock. Let's go. Little, little steely Dan going in your Kia. Come on now. So check it out today. It is the all-electric Kia EV6 GT. I had a blast checking it out. Believe me, you should do it yourself via kia.com slash EV6. To learn more, that is kia.com slash EV6. Kia, movement that inspires. Are you ready to unlock your inner greatness? If so, make sure to listen to my podcast, The School of Greatness, hosted by me, Lewis Howes. Join me as I sit down with world-class performers, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders to uncover their secrets to success with new episodes every single week. Whether you're striving for personal growth, business mastery, or simply seeking inspiration, The School of Greatness has something for you, and you can find it on SiriusXM, Pandora, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe and follow to the show so you never miss an episode and start your journey to greatness today. So for sure, The Wire is has to be the, the most influential show that you hear amongst people at the highest levels who make television. It's It's not open for debate. It's like, you know, it's always The Wire. The Wire, The Wire, The Wire, The Wire. So now that you're on We Own This City, which is, you know, from from Simon, right, who who created The Wire, um, what has that been like for you to be in that sort of legacy? Um, look, I, I think more than anything else, I mean, I, 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 for me, I, I, I think um, whether it's, a, you know, no judgment, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, I try to not concern myself with, um, you know, things like that that I can't control at all. It's a huge honor to, to, to work for David Simon, George Pelicanos, an enormous honor to be sort of included in that Baltimore-based crew that made The Wire. It's a family there. 
Baltimore is an unbelievably beautiful and brutal city, and it's sort of at the tip of the spear of so many issues that are deeply, deeply important to me and that I've had um, a lot of real-life experience with, and that's issues of race, issues of policing, police corruption, police brutality. Um, look, I'm, I'm, I'm enormously grateful uh, to not just be a part of the show, but to be able to approach those issues with really diving into the wound and, and, and really... You know, the way those guys work is they work with journalistic integrity. So as you know, so many of the times you go into a scene and the goal is to try to make the scene as, as, uh, you know, the stakes as high as possible, try to make it as interesting as possible, as dramatic as possible, as funny as possible, as electric as possible. But with those guys, it's this blend of journalism and entertainment. Well, what they really want to do is they just want to tell the truth. And we're shooting in the real places where it really happened, oftentimes with the real victims or with real cops. And um, it's just a it's a way of working that I'm so grateful for. And, you know, for me, you know, playing sort of the probably the most corrupt cop in the history of Baltimore, a real guy who's really in prison, who, you know, everyone on that in that city knows. I mean, he was just indicted a few years ago, uh, you, you know. Going to the police department and say, hey, we're going to tell this story. We, we want to tell this story as sort of the ugliest chapter of your department. If that was made by any other filmmakers, they would sort of tell you to fuck off. But, you know, for me, right. because it was The Wire, it gained, it, it allowed me to have access. You know, for three months, I was on ride-alongs every day. I went ride-alongs with, you know, aggressive plainclothes unit police officers every single day in every single district of the city. I got to go on on um, raids with uh, drug raids with the Baltimore SWAT team. And um, mostly it's got to form these unbelievable relationships with guys that really knew Wayne, knew, that, that, that knew my character. And I got this unbelievable access, made friends for life. Um, I got sort of a front row seat to, uh, again, explore these issues that, like I said, are deeply important to me. So I, I, I think that like, you, you know, I think like The Wire... I think this show is not about sort of being the most popular show on television right now. It's about lasting. And I think that's what you get when you try to tell the truth. And that's what we were doing with this show. And um, I'm really proud of it. And I'm really grateful to be a part of it. He, yeah. I mean, again, there, there are only so many greats in the world and he's, he's one of them. Um, I, I appreciate you. I hope we get a chance to cross paths again someday and additional circumstances. Uh, this, this was, this was awesome. I'm looking forward to, um, we own the city um, and the podcast. You got a lot going on, and thanks for coming by, man. Really appreciate it. I really appreciate you having me, man. I, like I said, I'm, I'm I'm a huge fan, just a huge admirer, bro. I could have talked to him for a lot longer time. What a great dude! That's the kind of guy you you want to end up on a set with, for sure. On a location with, stuck in some hellhole. In some tank. I think being a movie star is all sushi and sunglasses. Now we know it's not. Anyway, ring, ring, what's that? Ooh, it's the lowdown line. Hello, you've reached literally in our lowdown line where you can get the lowdown on all things about me, Rob Lowe. 323 570 4551. So have at it. Here's the beep. Hi, Rob. This is Terry from Minneapolis. Hey, thanks so much for doing the podcast. Uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and yours is my favorite, probably because I think you're a very good host. 
Um, like you, I've been sober for many years, and I really appreciate hearing your insights on recovery. And my question is, have you ever played a character who was an alcoholic or addict? And if so, did your personal experiences help with the role? Thanks so much, and keep up the good work. Well, Terry, first of all, thank you for, for the super kind words. And, and I really appreciate hearing from, from folks um, that they like the show. It really means a lot to me. It truly does. So thank you for that. So, bro, I have got a little piece of filmography for you to go watch to answer your question. I did a movie, um, <laughs> oh my God, I did a movie called I Melt With You. It is a very obscure indie shoestring budget by the great director Mark Pellington, who is known for his music videos with R.E.M. and um, uh, Pearl Jam and on and on and on. And it's the story of addiction. It's a it's a it's a movie about a group of men who are going through midlife crises and are on an, a drug bender together on an isolated um, rented B and B Airbnb on the Big Sur coast. I will warn you that it is the darkest movie you may ever see. And my character is a, um, a doctor who is also prescribing drugs to people. And I do more pills and blow and drink and I'm up all night and girls show up and it's just on and on and on. And it, it you know, I was probably 25 years sober when I made it and I felt high. Shot all night long, three nights like in a row, music and dancing, and it was a very l small crew. And by the time there, there were times when I was like, "This feels so real to me." And sort of, to be if I could be totally honest, kind of exciting and wildly depressing, <laughs> all all at once. It's not for everyone. It bears the honor of having the most uh, legendary screening at Sundance Film Festival. I think 30% of the audience walked out. It's one of those movies that when I read the script, I was like, if we do this right, half of the people in any given audience will walk out. That's how dark it is. But it's super good and I'm super proud of it. Uh, but it is not for everyone. Um, anyway, so there's that. And, you know, you're always asked to play drunk. You know, that always happens. Um, my biggest fear is that they, uh, when I ask for non-alcoholic beer, that they give me real beer. And that's happened a couple of times. But, you know, look, as I've said a, a number of times, you know, b being um, in recovery for as long as I have been has, has made me a way better actor, way better person, way better everything. Um, so anytime I get to hear uh, a fellow brother or sister out there checking in, congratulations on your recovery. And um, if, you know, as always, if anybody's out there struggling, there is tons of hope and there is tons of uh, successful stories of, of people whose lives changed. And um, I'm sending you all prayers. And thank you for uh, calling. Uh, more to come on next week's Literally. Don't forget to subscribe to the rest of uh, our show. Don't forget a uh, five-star review uh, on Apple. Super, super helpful. 
and um, a great way you can give back (laughs) to us. All right. See you next week. You've been listening to Literally with Rob Lowe, produced by me, Rob Schulte, with help from associate producer Sarah Begar. Our coordinating producer is Lisa Berm. Our research is done by Alyssa Grawl. The podcast is executive produced by Rob Lowe for Low Profile, Adam Sachs, Jeff Ross, and Joanna Solitaroff at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson at Stitcher. All of the music you hear is by Devin Bryant. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Literally with Rob Lowe. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Stitcher. Stitcher.